Man, I tell you what, what a wonderful morning of worship. Ah, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's good seeing you guys. I've not been with y'all for two weeks because I've been playing hooky. Um, I've taken, uh, took my two out of my three kids and my wife. We all went down to Florida and suffered for Jesus. It was 95 degrees down there. <clears throat> By the way, how was it? How was the temperature two weeks ago here? Oh, that's right. It was cold and rainy. Uh, yeah, it was great. It was wonderful. Anyway, we're starting a new series today uh, on the book of James. And I'm really stoked about this. Um, I tell you what, anytime you take God's word, there's pretty much anytime you read this book, you're going to see it divided into two different parts. Uh, The first part is either going to be stuff to believe about God or to do for God. So one of those two things, stuff to believe about God or stuff to do for God. God expects our beliefs to impact what we do. I know that's crazy, but he does. That what we have up here should eventually make its way down to our feet and for us to do them. So anytime you read this book, you always want to ask this question. Is it telling me something to believe about God or is it telling me to do something for God? Now, when you read especially the New Testament books, almost all of the letters written are divided up into those two main areas. Give you an example, Romans. Romans chapter 1 through chapter 11. Those 11 chapters is telling you what to believe. It's all theology. You need to believe this about God. But in chapters 12 through 16, he's saying, okay, you got these beliefs now. Here's what you need to do with those beliefs. And it's practical. So the first part, 11 chapters, theology. The last four chapters is all about doing. What's so cool? You keep on going. Galatians. Galatians chapters 1 through 4 is about your beliefs. Everybody say beliefs. Beliefs. It's all about your beliefs. But in Galatians chapter 5 and 6, it's about what you do. Everybody say do. All right? Let's keep on going. Ephesians chapters 1 through 4 is about your what? Beliefs. See, y'all are good at this, all right? First service, it was like trying to pull eye teeth, all right? And I don't even know what eye teeth are, all right? And then uh, chapters 4 through 6, it's all about do, right? Because beliefs should always impact what you do. Keep on going. Philippians, chapters 1 and 2, it's about your beliefs. That's right. How you believe. Chapters 3 and 4 is about your what you do. It's exactly what you do with your beliefs. Colossians. First two chapters is about your, that's right, it's all about theology and the stuff about God, believing about God. Chapters three and four, it's about doing, it's all about practical. First Thessalonians, chapters one through three. Chapters four and five. All right, keep up, Titus, chapter one. Chapters two and three. Now, okay, all skate here. Y'all are doing really good. When we come to the New Testament book of James, and by the way, that's where we're going to be looking. So some of y'all, y'all not been out of church in a while, something like that, you may just go ahead and start looking. Because um, it's a hard book to find. Uh, you got to go all the way to the end. If you hit Revelation, you need to kind of take a left, and you need to go back. It's after Hebrews, before Revelation. The book of James doesn't follow this pattern. Because James is not really interested in your beliefs. 
Now, I know that seems kind of weird coming, you know, we're talking about the Bible and this dude who wrote this in the Bible is not really interested in what you believe. He's not, he's not going to spend any time talking about theological differences or doctrinal formulas or these abstracts about your beliefs. He's going to get up in my business and in your business and saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? It's all about action, function, work. Practical stuff. In fact, one person said, called James, the Proverbs of the New Testament. If you're a brand new Christian here, maybe you don't know where to start, I'd start in the book of Proverbs. And once you get done with Proverbs, go to James. Because there's a lot of similarities there. The book of James is not a great doctrinal work or treatise or anything like that. Get this. Jesus is only mentioned twice. His uh, death on the cross, never mentioned. Um, his resurrection from the dead, never mentioned. Never t- the, the, and he never talks about heaven or hell. In fact, when you read James and you read the word save, he isn't talking about getting saved for eternity. He's always talking about, you know, you need to do it now. It's something that can help you now. James is the first book written in the New Testament. The very first book. He isn't concerned with doctrinal doctrinal correctness like Paul is. Paul wants to tell you how to believe. James really doesn't even talk about that. He says, no, this is what you need to do. This is so cool. James has 108 verses. Everybody say that. 108. All right, 108. Now, out of 108 verses... There are, James contains 54 imperatives, which are commands. So every other verse, James is in your business telling you what to do. Because that's the type of dude James is. He doesn't really care about your beliefs, about your head stuff. He is going to be spending some time on what you're doing with your feet. He's almost like a drill sergeant up in your face. All right. Those who are in the army, you went to boot camp. You had that person. I got this so so cool. In my small group, uh, I have two people that served as drill sergeants. And they are hilarious because one is very quiet. She's very nice. Um, But uh, and and another one, uh, he's not so quiet and he's nice, though. But I mean, you know what a drill sergeant. Y'all remember those who aren't in the army, uh, all two of us. Um, You know how Sergeant Carter was, right, with Gomer Pyle? He's always up in Pyle's face yelling, right? That's what James is. He's kind of like a drill sergeant or he's kind of like a football coach. You know, as I was thinking through this, uh, this book, one of the things that really struck me is the similarities between this book and football. Because I'm thinking about, how many of y'all thinking about football? How many of y'all want me to preach quickly so you can go and watch some Sunday football? Anyone here? All right, there's one. Very good. Thanks, Phil. Thanks for being, all right. Actually, it was Kath making you do your hand, wasn't it? All right, cool. <clears throat> so I'll try to make this as quick as possible. But, I'm, you know, we're all thinking about football this season. If you think about football, football has strategies. There's the X's and the O's, and you have, you have the playbook. But really, the whole point of all the X's and the O's in the playbook is really, what's the point of football? To win. That's exactly right. I would think y'all would know this unless you're a Tennessee Titans fan. Anyway, that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I just, I just, I just threw it out there. Anyway, <clears throat> I, that, that, by the way, that wasn't in my notes. So uh, you know. 
Anyway, um, by the way, they're supposed to win today. Because they're not playing. Anyway, um, <laughs> um, but you think about it, football, you can have all the strategy, all the X's and the O's, but the whole point of the huddle is to move the chains down the field. I mean, you know, we all want the touchdowns. That's, what you, that, that's the end result. But before you can even get the touchdowns, you've got to get the first down. And then you go and you run the ball or you throw the ball and the offense gets another first down. And again, for those who don't know football, you get four chances for that to get a first down, right? So what's amazing is on the field, you have hash marks to show just how far you've gone. And what we're going to see about James is James is going to give us some first downs and some real life hash marks so that we can take this invisible faith that all of us has and make it visible. In fact, that's our big idea for the entire book of James. The big idea is this, a faith that doesn't make itself visible is useless. Let's all say that. A faith that doesn't make itself visible is useless. James' whole point, just like in football, is I want you in the end zone. You know, you can have all the strategies, you can read the rule book, but you know what? If you don't follow the rule book, it's not going to help you. And we're going to talk about that. I want to make this crystal clear and visible so that you take this invisible faith that's up here and it translates down to your feet, and you start moving down the field. That is what James is interested in. He's saying that real faith does. Though faith may be invisible, it will never stay invisible. It will always make itself visible. It will make itself known. You see, when we think of faith and belief, we think of our heads. But James says, you know, I'm not cared about your head. I want to know what your feet are doing. I want to know what you're doing, not on Sunday morning. What are you doing on Monday? What are you, how are you running your business? In fact, this is going to be so cool when we go through. I don't know how long this series is going to go. It was supposed to have been four. Then I put it to five. We may be in it for a few years because today I am only doing one verse. So after today, we've got 107 verses to go. All right. So I'll just say that out there. <clears throat> So anyway, as we go, this, he's saying, you know what? It may start up here with your head, but I want to see how well it translates to your feet. And this is what it is. The first, he says this, if you want to know how far you get in your Christian walk in your life, the, well, the first thing he talks about is trouble. That God's going to use some trouble in your life so that he can put you down the field. The second thing is this, is how do you obey and apply the Bible? A real Christian in, in chapter two says that real Christians aren't prejudiced. I'm looking forward to preaching that one. Real faith, he says, works itself out in the way you talk. James chapter 3. It's great that we can sing, there is no one higher, no one greater, no one like our God. But if on Monday you're dropping F-bombs, then the God that you worshipped on Sunday morning isn't helping you out. Because James is saying, I don't really care what you say on Sunday morning. How are you talking on Monday and on Tuesday? And on Wednesday, he's going through and he's going to press that down. In chapter, chapter four, he says, real Christians run their business the way God wants them to run it. 
uh, in chapter 5, real, real faith handles money wisely. And, the, and also the end of chapter 5, the real Christians pray. He gives us these practical hash marks to say, okay, okay you got the trouble thing down? Okay, now how, how, how well are you obeying God's word and applying it? Okay, so you're doing that. How well are you able to, you know, see other people? Do you see them as dollar signs? Do you see them as skin color? Are you prejudiced? And he's going to be all up in some practical, every other verse, he's telling you and telling me, you got to do this, Chris. You've got to do this. Before we ever go out on the field in football, there's something you got to do. You know, in, in the NCAA or NFL, nobody ever shows up on the field just saying, oh, by the way, co- whose team am I playing on? All right. I mean, they always show up wearing a jersey because before they ever get out on the field, they've already said, you know what? I'm with them or I'm with them. I'm with Tennessee, or I'm with Alabama, or I'm with Auburn, or I'm with the Titans, or I'm with the Colts, or whoever. They say, this is my intention. And and one of the things that we're going to look at in this one verse we're looking at today is James is saying, you know what? Before you you can do this whole, you know, real life thing and real Christian thing, you got to figure out whose team are you going to play on? Who are you going to suit up for? Who, whose team are you going to carry the ball with? So let's get this. Let's look at it. Verse one, chapter one of James. <clears throat> this letter is from James. Okay, that's the writer, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Now that's who he's writing to. And he says, greetings. All right. So there's a lot in there. We're going to spend the rest of the day on this one verse. He says his name is James. Now, there's five James mentioned in the New Testament. Which one is he talking about? Who wrote this? Well, great. The James who wrote this letter was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Now, Mary had a baby, and his name was Jesus, right? We all sing songs about that, especially on in Christmas. But that was the first baby Mary had. Now, again, I don't know what background some of you come from. Some of you may come from a different denomination or maybe in a different group that's taught you that, you know, that Mary was always a virgin. That Mary, Mary was a virgin when she conceived and had Jesus Christ. But after she had Jesus Christ... Mary had many other children. Now, some of you are going, I don't think that's right. That's not the way I was taught. Let me say this. Wherever church you came from, whatever denomination, and including this church, anytime somebody tells you something from God's word, you know what you need to do? You need to take the word and you need to look at it. Because let me tell you, some people, and and, and maybe sometimes even without knowing it, will tell you something that may not be true, and God's word is always our standard. Not me, not my opinion, not some other pastor's opinion. It's God's word. So anytime, including me, if I tell you something, you need to go, I don't think that's right. I'm going to open up God's word. Oh, yeah. And you need to always look here. Now, some of you, because you're going, I don't think that's right. Jesus had other brothers? And Mary wasn't always very well. Let's look at that. Let's, let's see. By the way, James was the half-brother of Jesus. Do you know why he was a half-brother? 
Okay, James's dad was Joseph. Very good, Mary and Joseph. Y'all remember the Christmas story? Very good. All right. Now, who was Jesus's dad? Very good. You see, Joseph had nothing to do with that one. Joseph sat on the bench on that one. You know what I mean? <coughs> God says, I'm going to take care of this one. And Jesus's father was God and is God. And James's dad was Joe. All right. So let's look at this. Matthew chapter 13, verse 54. Some of you are going, I don't, don't know about this. Again, you need to put your, the way you've been taught on the shelf for a sec and look at what God's word says. Matthew 13, 54 says, he, who's he? Jesus. Jesus returned to Nazareth, his hometown. When he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and power to do miracles? And then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son. We know Mary, his mother, and we know his, what does that say? Dear Lord, his brothers, and then he names them. James, everybody help me. Joseph, Simon, and some of y'all, Judas was the dude who betrayed him was his brother. No, no. Judas was a very common name. Then <clears throat> it's kind of like Joe. How many of y'all are Joe in here? <laughs> it's a real common name. Anyway, in that, in that culture, Judas was a very common name, unlike Joe, uh, and maybe like Bill. Anyway, but, um, so it wasn't the Judas who betrayed him. It was a different Judas. So he, Jesus had four brothers, and I'm going to keep on reading. Uh, and all of his sisters live right here among us. He didn't, he doesn't list how many sisters he had, but he had more than one. So there's Jesus, James, Joseph, Simon, Judas, and at least two sisters. So that's seven kids. So Joseph had a baby. His name was Jesus. And then, excuse me, Joseph. Mary had a baby. <laughs> that would definitely be a miracle. Mary had a baby. His name was Jesus. And then Mary and Joseph hooked up and had many babies. Four brothers and two sisters. All right, I'm going to keep on. Where did he learn these things? And they were deeply offended. Look at this. And refused to believe him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except his own hometown and among his own family. You know, people's, the people in Jesus' family were deeply offended. And even they didn't believe him. See, some of you are here today. And you're here at church, and you got family who, who you, they don't believe. They don't believe Jesus Christ. You know what? <laughs> Jesus had some people in his family that didn't believe him either. Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. James was probably the firstborn born after Jesus. And Jesus was James's older brother. How many of y'all are older brothers in here? Let me see you. All right? Shame on you. All right, because all of us, I'm an older brother, and I know how I treated my sister. How many of y'all were good brothers, older brothers? Okay, you're not supposed to lie in church. All right. <laughs> anyway, I mean, think about this. James's older brother was Jesus. Now, think, and here's what the Bible says about Jesus: that Jesus was perfect. Can you imagine sitting at the table? And Mary and Joseph and all the kids and the sisters and Jesus there and looking at report cards. 
And Mary and Joseph are going, James, huh, you got to see. You got to see in woodworking. You can't do that. You, I, I, Joseph's saying, I need you to carry on the family business because uh, our older son, he's not going to do it. He's the savior of the world. I mean, how about living up to that standard? When Mary, t- when Mary tells Simon, can, why can't you be more like your brother? He's perfect. He, he's dying for your sins. I mean, think about that. I mean, when, when somebody broke the lamp... And Mary says, who did it? Jesus immediately points to James. because, And you know what? Mary goes, well, he must be telling the truth. He's sinless. James. And James is like, I'm going to get you later, Jesus. Really think about it. Imagine putting yourself in James's position and your brother is perfect. Some of you know exactly what that feels like because you have an older sibling who your mom and dad just doted on. And they just thought they were perfect, and they weren't perfect, and you knew it. But Jesus really was perfect. I mean, Jesus, when, when Mary and Joseph says, okay, after dinner, I want you to put your, your wooden bowls in the wooden sink or whatever and wash them up, Jesus always did it. Jesus always did it. When Mary called everybody for dinner, Jesus always came the first time. And James and the rest of the crew, eh, we'll come later, you know. But James just, I mean, that brother who came to town back to Nazareth comes and and says something in the synagogue, and James is like, whatever. Even James didn't believe Jesus Christ. Look at Mark chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. One time Jesus entered a house, and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. They were doing ministry so much that they couldn't even find time to eat. Sometimes ministry is busy. When when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. And listen to what his family said about Jesus. He's out of his mind. Different translations translate that different ways. Some says he's lost his senses. Another one says he's deranged. He's gone mad. A paraphrase says he must be insane. The decided option of his family was that Jesus was a nut. Even his own family didn't believe that Jesus was the Christ. Mary did, but all the brothers, the sisters, they're like, eh, whatever. That's Jesus. They thought he was off his rocker. Look at John chapter 7, verses 3 and 5. Jesus' brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea, for even his brothers didn't believe him. Some of you know what that feels like. But imagine Jesus, the one who is going to save the entire world from their sins, even his own family didn't believe. You know, up to this point, whose team was James playing on? He was playing on his own. He wasn't going to get involved in what Jesus was getting involved in, this whole Christianity thing, this new stuff. You know what? I don't believe Jesus. You know, I I, I always grew up with him, and he was always Mr. Goody Two-Shoes. I'm going to do my thing. He, he goes through life and his whole idea is he's going to do his own thing. He's going to do, he has his own dreams, his own goals. James is doing what James is doing best. And James is saying, I am going to get mine. All right, I'm Gary. You're Julius. Let's get some particulars and just get this over with. All right. What's it, Willis? 
Yeah. No matter what I tell you, you ain't gonna never know nothing about hey, me. Hey, listen. I ain't running any more of these three days, okay? Well, what I got to say, you really don't want to hear, because honesty ain't too high up on your people's priority list, right? Honesty? You want honesty? All right, honestly, I think you're nothing. Nothing but a pure waste of God-given talent. You don't listen to nobody, man. Not even Doc or Boone. Shiver push on the line every time, man. You blow right past them. Push them. Pull them. Do something. You can't run over everybody in this league. And every time you do, you leave one of your teammates hanging out to dry. Me in particular. Why should I give a hoot about you? Huh? Or anybody else out there? You want to talk about a waste? You the captain, right? Right. Captain's supposed to be the leader, right? Right. You got a job? I have a You've job. You been doing your job? I've been doing my job. Then why don't you tell your white buddies to block for Rev better? Because they have not blocked for him. Worth a plug, nickel, and you know it. Nobody plays. Yourself included. I'm supposed to wear myself out for the team? What team? No. No, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look out for myself and I'm going to get mine. Hey, man. That's the worst attitude I ever heard. Attitude reflect leadership, Captain. You know, that clip from Remember the Titans is all about a, two groups of people who were supposedly playing on the same team but really weren't. They were wearing the same jerseys, but because they were skin color, they were really a divided team. And you know, it's amazing through this that many of you know a lot about doing your own thing because that's what you've been doing for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. You've been going out what you want for and what makes you happy. And you've been doing your own thing, pursuing your dreams, your interests, your goals, so that you can climb up and get better at what you do. And really, you're here this morning and you're not playing on Jesus' team. You got your own jersey on. You're doing your own thing. And James, that's exactly what James did for his entire life while Jesus was around. He's going, eh, I'm going to do what I want to do. And think about this. James was around Jesus all the time, and yet he, he, he refused to get on board with what Jesus was doing. And some of you, you're the exact same way. You've been around a Jesus your entire life. Some of it, you, it feels like you were born in church and you live church and you, your mom drug you to church and she drug you to Wednesday nights and she drug you to Sunday nights and you had a drug problem because your mom and dad just drug you everywhere to church and you've been around Jesus your entire life, but you have been focusing on wearing your own Jersey, doing your own thing, pursuing your own dreams. And the thing that James found out and the thing that if you don't change the team you're, you're rooting for and you're on that you're going to find out is doing your own thing is going to produce a dead end. James finally learned that. That's how James lived his life up till the time where Jesus was dead. He was buried. Three days later, he came to life again. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus appears to his disciples, some other people, and also to James. Look at this. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter, and then the twelve, and after that, he was seen by more than, what is that? 500 
people, 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive when this letter was written. You know, some of you are thinking, I can't do this Christianity thing because they got some crazy claims. You know what the cool thing about Christianity is when all of this stuff was written when it happened, over 500 people saw Jesus Christ alive again. And when, when Paul wrote this letter to Corinthians, he said, most of them are still around. Talk to them. You don't believe me? That's fine. There's 499 other people you can believe. He says he was seen by 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all of the apostles. Jesus met James after, after he was crucified, buried, and resurrected. And James finally got on Jesus' team. And not only got on his team, James becomes a leader of the church in Jerusalem. This is kind of cool. James is the very first book written. How we know that is because James was one of the very first people who died for his faith. So that James, James chapter 1, this letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James writes that he is a slave of God. How many rights do slaves have? Think about it. How many dreams, how many interests, how many hopes do slaves have? None. And what, what he's saying is, you know what? I changed my jersey. You know, I'm not doing this for me anymore. I don't have any hopes. I don't have any interest. My interest are Jesus, is Jesus Christ and what he wants. A slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing. Jesus, who used to be his big brother, is now the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, that's his full name. And that's where we're going to spend the rest of the time this morning. Lord Jesus Christ. The word Lord, we've talked about this in our disciple series, means sovereign, boss, the one who rules, the one who reigns, the one who is in control. That's what Lord means. Let me give you some verses about this. First uh, Corinthians fifteen twenty seven. For the scriptures say, God has put, God has put all things. First Corinthians fifteen twenty seven. God has put all things under Jesus's authority. Then, when all things are under His authority, the Son will put Himself under God's authority, so that God, who gave the Son authority over all things, will be utterly supreme over everything everywhere. Let's take this down a little bit. For the Scriptures say, God has put how many things? All things under whose authority? Jesus' authority, all right? Then, when all things are under Jesus' authority, the Son will put himself under God's authority. Did you know that even Jesus is under authority? See, some of you, maybe those who are still in the army, and you're like, man, I can't wait to get out. I'm tired of people telling me what to do. You know what? You get out, there's still going to be people telling you what to do because everybody has, is under authority. Everybody. And, and some of you who have gotten out of the army and you're in, a, you're in a different, you're in a civvy job now, what is somebody telling you to do? They're telling you to do stuff, aren't they? And you say, well, I'm going to own my own business. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Yeah, they will. Don't pay taxes and see if that's okay. Because everybody is an authority, even Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, everything's under Jesus Christ's authority. And then Jesus says he places himself under God the Father's authority. And then look at this. So that God who gave his son authority over all things will be utterly, I like this next word. What is that word? I'm sorry, this is an all-skate morning. What is that word? Supreme. 
Supreme. Remember that word. We're going, to hear, we're going to see that again. Let me give you another one. He's supreme. He's boss. He's Lord. All right? We've got to stop doing what we want, start doing what Jesus wants because we're on his team. Look at Hebrews 1.3. He reflects the brightness, talking about Jesus, of God's glory, and it's the exact likeness of God. You want to know what God looks like? You look at Jesus Christ. Jesus is the exact likeness of God's own being, sustaining the universe with his powerful word. You know why the universe is still intact this morning? It's not because of the Big Bang Law. It's because Jesus is keeping it intact with his word, powerful word. After achieving forgiveness of sins, and by the way, that was a biggie. After achieving forgiveness of sins for all human beings, he sat down in heaven at the right side of God. The, what is that next word? I'm sorry. Y- y'all just ain't. Come on. What's that next word? Supreme. Who is supreme? Jesus. Jesus is supreme. And unless you stop making Jesus your big brother and start making Jesus the Lord, Jesus Christ, you're never ever going to know what your purpose is in life because James didn't. He kind of went from this to that until he finally gave his heart to Jesus Christ. And then he said, okay, I know what team I'm playing on. I know who I'm suiting up for now. And that's what James had to do, and that's what you and I have to do, because we have to stop shocking and jiving God, and we got to say, you know what? I am going to do this Christian thing on Sunday morning, Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, and I'm going to keep on doing it all through the week and be consistent, because this is who I'm playing for. This is who I'm giving my heart and my life to. Look at verse 18 of Colossians 1. This is one of my verses. And I, well, I'll be honest with you, I wanted to go straight to this one talking about Lord, and I, I feel like I, I say this verse all the time. So I had to go get some other ones, but I'm going to end up with this one because this one's just a bomb. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together. Who holds the church together? Jesus. Exactly right. He holds it together like a head does a body. He was, now, by the way, who is the head of the church? Jesus. You want to know who the senior pastor is at one church? Jesus. Because I'm jacked up. Jesus is the head of the church. Not only of this church, but of every church. It is Jesus Christ. He was, what's that next word? Oh, that's a good word. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end for a beginning to end. He's there. And then he gives the definition of supreme, towering far above everything and everyone. That's supreme. And that is who Jesus Christ is. He is supreme. Now, is he supreme in your life? Or is he, it's somebody I come and I, you know, I'll listen to somebody and I'll talk to, you know, I'll sing songs for 30 minutes and I'm out of here. Is Jesus supreme? Because that's what it means to be Lord. You know, when he's supreme, he gets greater and we get less. I'll be honest with you, we don't like that, do we? I mean, think, there's something in every one of us that we want to do our own thing. We don't want nobody telling us what to do. We want to do our own thing. We want to be, some people say, I want to be my own man. And there's something inside of us that says that. And the Bible calls it pride. And the Bible calls that a sin. Listen to what it says. A few verses on pride. 
Isaiah 2.11, human pride will be brought down and human arrogance will be humbled. Only the Lord will be exalted on that day. God doesn't play second verse to anyone. Psalm 18.27, you rescue the humble, but you humiliate the... Keep on going. Pride ends in humiliation while humility brings honor. Proverbs 29, 23. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride comes before destruction and haughtiness before fall. James 4, 6, the, verse, the book we're looking at now. God opposes the proud but favors the humble. In order for us to get on God's team, we got to put our own desires second. And we got to say, I'm going to put what I want to do third, fourth, fifth, and it's God. I'm dressing out for him. I'm on his team. And, and, you know, it's like this. If you're in the army and you say, you know what, somebody tells you what to do, maybe you're a commanding officer, and you say no, how is that going to end for you? Not very well. You're going to be peeling potatoes or something, right? I don't know they still do that, all right? But imagine, let's say the coach, the head coach calls a play in football. And the quarterback gets out on there and says, you know what? The coach wants me to do this. I ain't doing it. I'm going to go do this. Now, he may run that play once and do his own thing. Where's he going to be the next play? On the bench. Because, no, sir. It is the head coach who calls the place. It is the head coach who's in charge. And that's what God is saying. James is saying, Jesus is my head. He's the head coach here. All right, so that's Lord. That's the first part of his name. Second part is Jesus. Jesus. The word Jesus is a Greek for Joshua, and Joshua means Savior or salvation. All right? Savior or salvation. I love that. Um, And when uh, the angel tells Joseph that, hey, by the way, Mary's pregnant, and you didn't do it, God did. And Matthew 121 says, you are to name him... Jesus, for he will, Jesus, his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. When the angel showed up to the shepherds at night and starts singing, you know, we'd sing all about this at Christmas. What did they say? The night the shepherds were staying in the fields nearby, I kind of feel like Linus needs to be talking about this, you know, on stage with the, you know. All right. Uh, guarding their flocks of sheep, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will be to all people, is what Linus says. I love that. Uh, bring you great joy. What is that next word? To? All people. I love that. Not just a certain group, but all people. The Savior. Yes, the Messiah, the Lord. By the way, there's all three names right there. Savior, Jesus. Messiah, that is the Hebrew word. The Greek word for it is Christ. And then Lord. The Savior, Jesus Christ, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Lord is how he relates to everything. He is supreme. Jesus is how he relates to you and me because he saves us from our sins. First, uh, first John 4, 14, the father sent his son to be the savior of the world. Let me just stop right here and say, is Jesus Christ your savior? I mean, is Jesus Christ your savior? Has he saved you? 
And I'm not just saying, have you been to church? Have you been dunked? I'm saying, have you asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins? My son and I, his name is Jed. We're in the hot tub of my folks house earlier this week. And we're sitting there and, and, and my son Jed says, dad, is, does, is everybody going to go to heaven? I said, well, Jed, I said, that's a great question. The answer is no. Everybody's not going to go to heaven. And I, I told him, I said, you know how Jesus, he paid for the sins of the entire world, but only those people who ask for their sins to be covered will be saved. And I said, Jed, what if I gave you a present? I said, what if I have in my hand, I gave you a present. I'm trying to talk to a five-year-old and you know, I'm, I'm trying to put myself on his level and it's not going well, I'll be honest with you. He says, well, if I want to give you something, what do you got to do? And he says, I got to ask for, I got to say, please. I says, okay, uh, yeah, you need to. I says, but if I'm, if I'm handing this to you and say, this is yours, you can take it. What do you have to do? And he says, well, I guess I have to take it. He says, you're right. Because until you take it, it's never yours. And see, some of you have been in church and you've, hear, you've heard about this wondrous gift that God gives through his son, Jesus Christ, but you have never taken it. It's my prayer that Jesus would be your savior this morning, that he would save you. Then the last part, Lord talks about how he relates to everybody. He's supreme. Jesus, how he relates to you and me. He can be our savior. And the next one is Christ. And that word means Messiah or anointed one. I love that, the chosen one. Let me kind of give you some history about this. In Jewish culture, people would take somebody and they would make them king. They would choose them to be king. And they didn't have presidents and inaugurations in that day. So what they would do is they would take a person and they would take oil and anoint their head or pour oil over their head. And that signifies that they are chosen by God. And that they are now king. He's the leader. And that's what they would do with king after king after king until they kept on running so far from God. God just said, you know what, enough is enough. And in 586 BC, God took the kings away from Israel and took the land away from Israel. And for 500 years, Israel had no king. Until Jesus was born. Still have no king there. But all during that 500 years, the Bible's saying, I'm going to give you a king. I'm going I'm to provide for you an anointed one. I'm going to give you a chosen one. We call him the Messiah. And that Messiah, he's going to be your king, but he's not just going to be any other guy, any just human king. He's going to be God. God is actually going to be your king. And they kept on just waiting for that promise that he is the Messiah, that he is the Messiah. He's the chosen one. He is, God is our king. And they would, 500 years had passed. Jesus shows up and guess what? Look at Matthew 12, 23. The crowd was amazed and asked, could this be that Jesus is the Christ, the son of David, the Messiah? The, the word Christ, Messiah, anointed one, son of David, they all mean the same thing. They had been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for their promised king. And finally, he showed up. The thing, the sad thing about it is the king, Jesus Christ, showed up and the people rejected him. Because we all have a choice. God gives us all a choice. Are we going to reject him or are we going to accept him? And they chose 
to reject Jesus as their king. Lord is how he relates to everything. He is supreme. Jesus is how he relates to you and me. He can be our savior if we ask him. Messiah or Christ is how he relates to God because God has chosen him to be the person, our king. The question is, how do you relate to God? As we end today, how do you relate to God? Do you relate to him by, you know what, I'm going to do my thing and God's going to do his thing. Do you relate to God like, uh, you know what, God, I think you will be happy with me if I choose to obey these Ten Commandments. Do you relate to God? You know what? I just, I show up on Easter and Christmas and I, I, you know, I'll give him a Sunday here or there. Do you relate to God? You know what? I'm going to show up every Sunday and I'm going to put money in the offering plate and that makes me all right with God. You know, I relate to God by, you know, when I was born, I was baptized as a baby. I, I relate to, you know, I relate to God that, you know what? I got baptized as an adult. I, you know, I relate to God. How do you relate to God? Because all those things I'd mentioned gives you no relation to God. The only way that we can be related to a holy God is through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way. Jesus said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So if you're here this morning and you're relating to Jesus Christ by any other thing, but, but you know, you think, well, I, I, my parents are Christians or, or, you know, I'm a good person and I recycle and I do all of this stuff, whatever. You, you, seriously, y'all laugh at some people. How is that any funnier than by saying, you know, what, I'm just going to, I'm going to get to God because I'm good. You ask most people, you're going to go to heaven. Yep. Sure enough. I'm there. All right, how are you going to get there? Well, I'm good. I'm I'm a good person. Okay, how good is good enough? Oh, you see, that doesn't work. The only way we can have a relationship with God is going through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the only way. And if you're here this morning, and if you've been out of church maybe a long time, maybe you've been in church all your life, you've been around Jesus your entire life, just like James, you're going to have to realize that Jesus, he's your Savior. He can save you, but you have to ask. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much, Lord, that you give us a hope and a peace, but that only comes through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I know that there's people here this morning who, if you ask them, you know, am I going to go to heaven? Yeah, I'm going to go. How do you, how do you know? Oh, I'm not quite sure. Or if you ask them, how sure are you? I mean, if you were to die today, if something were to happen, and you say, you know, how sure are you that you would go to heaven? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm kind of sure. Can you really be sure? The answer to Jesus Christ is yes, you can be sure. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 and 12 says this. 
This is God's testimony. That God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I've written to those who believe so that you may know that you have eternal life. We can know Jesus Christ. So Lord, I pray for those here who don't know. I pray that they would stop guessing because this is a dangerous game to guess with. I pray that they would be able to ask Jesus Christ to be their Savior, to be the Lord, and to be the one that they've been waiting for. Dear God, I pray for them. I pray for us, Lord, who need you, Jesus Christ. We can't make it on our own. We can't do it on our own. We've been doing our own thing, playing for our own team, going with our own goals, with our own dreams, hopes, and visions. And Lord, it's not getting us down where we want to be. But it's only when we sign up and we start playing for you, Jesus Christ, and we start suiting up for you, and we say, I am on your team, not mine. I am making you Lord, not me. You can save me. I can't save myself. You're the one that I've been waiting for. I can't do it. That we can have a relationship with you, Jesus Christ. Lord, come and save us. Forgive us of our sins. Thank you for hearing my prayers, Jesus Christ. Thank you for taking all of my sins and wiping it clean. If you prayed that prayer, there's going to be people along the side of the walls that want to be able to talk with you and to give you encouragement. If you have some questions about that, you can come see me or any of our staff. We have lanyards on. We're here for you. We're here for you. And more importantly, Jesus the Christ, the Lord, 